Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Hey, before I jump into the message today, I did want to acknowledge that tomorrow is a really important day. Um, Tomorrow we honor the life and celebrate the birth of one of the most well-known and influential civil rights leaders in history, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He had a dream, a dream that racism would be destroyed. In his own words, he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King's dream is a picture of the kingdom of God's culture. And we stand with Martin Luther King's dream to see racism abolished and that the body of Christ would rise up in unity. So let's observe a moment of silence in honor of this dream and in honor of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that when you created us, you made made each one of us unique and different, and that there is beauty and diversity in what, what everyone brings to the table in the kingdom. And Lord, I just pray over all of our families, Lord, that as we honor the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. tomorrow, Lord, that you would and press upon our hearts to keep that dream alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, I really missed you guys last week. Um, I was out, a little under the weather. I'm doing much better. If I cough, I promise it's not what you think it is. (laughs) Negative. (laughs) It might happen. I'm just prepping you. (coughs) See, there it is. But today, I'm really excited to talk to you about our our current sermon series, Possessing the Land. Um, And it's because we're entering a really significant time. I mean, we all feel it. Don't you feel it? It feels like there is a shifting of the era. There is a turning point in our culture that's happening right now. It's really significant. And I just believe that 2022 is going to be a year for you of fruition, fulfillment, more than anything, advancement into the kingdom of God and the purposes that he has spoken over your life. In Matthew eleven twelve, 12, it says, from the moment that John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth. Another translation says, suffers violence. And passionate people have taken hold of its power. So this year, uh, fulfillment and advancement isn't one where we can watch from the sidelines and wait for victory to happen. Each one of you here today, you have a special invitation from the Father 
to lay a hold of this mandate that you can possess the land. What does that mean? It means stepping into an understanding of what your local assignment is, where the Lord has planted you, and what he's asking from you right now in this season. I feel like spiritually, a lot of us have like this prophetic ADD where we're always looking into the future, and we're thinking about that big grand picture, most of the time what we think is big and grand, far off in the future and not the tangible right in front of us. We look at our current circumstances surrounding us as the limitations that are in the way of getting to where God is asking you to be, when the reality is that the circumstances surrounding you are the tools and the development that he's placed in front of you to prepare you for what he's shown you. So when we're talking about possessing the land, we don't want to be so obsessed with reaching the promised land that we miss out on the promise of the land that you're in right now. Right? So, we're fully discovering and getting the most out of the land that we're in. Hmm. So what you're, where, what you're doing right now, I know we just talked about this. What is in front of you right now is exactly what you need to be ready for where you're going. How many of you have lived out some dreams in the kingdom of God? Can I see the dream possessors? I see some hands. There's a few really sad people who just have their hands in their lap. Don't worry. After today, you will possess it. (laughs) Then you know that when you reach that dream, when you reach something that God gave you a picture of, when you actually step into that actual moment of your life, you recognize that what you thought was an inhibitor, what you thought was a discouragement, what you thought was a setback, maybe it was a closed door, maybe it was a broken relationship, Maybe it was um, a not right now. But when you look back on it and you see the trajectory of your life that led you into that moment, you recognize, oh, God did know what he was doing. He knew what he was doing in me and he knew what I needed. I think a lot of us, we're, we're, we're big experts, right? Especially in other people's lives, we're really big experts. I mean, you can look, I don't know who you came to church with today, but you could probably look if it's your spouse or uh, your significant other, a family member, you could probably look over and say, Lord, let me tell you, I could give you a prophetic word right now. I know exactly what's in the way of your life. You've got this, 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 and this. And if you just did this, 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 and this, man, you'd be amazing. I don't know why you're sitting on that. I don't know why you can't see it. Did you, I mean, even saying that, I felt kind of powerful, right? Because <laughs> that's what judgment does, right? It, judgment it, it excludes us from having anyone being critical of ourselves because we're in a position of power now. I'm judging what God needs to do in your life. That means that on some degree, I've got it, to, I've got it together. It's like before me and Ashley got married. We um, were in the car driving home one day and we're like, man, we could write a book on marriage. Did you hear me where I said it was before we got married? <laughs> we could, we'll write a book on marriage. We've got this figure. I don't know why people say it's so hard. <laughs> I'm not a fair example because I love marriage. Love you, babe. She's watching online. <laughs> but it is so easy to look at somebody else 
and to think that we can see all the steps that they should take when the reality is that we're making our decisions and our judgments on what other people should do and what we should do based on our limited, finite perspective of what is directly in front of us. And that is why in possessing the land, it is not just about your latest, greatest vibe of what's in the future for you. It is about seeing God rightly so that you can see yourself rightly and then understand what his will and his ways are so that you can do those counterintuitive weird things that he will sometimes request you to do, the things that don't seem like a direct solution, but more like a roundabout. But in reality, it's the fast track. That's what God does. He gives us instructions that sometimes don't line up or make sense with what we're doing right now. And that's why in possessing the land, we can't just go on our best hunch or what we think is the best. We have to hear his voice. Amen? Hmm. God knows what he's doing in you. He's got a plan and he is setting you up. <laughs> All your expectations, none of those things limit him. He exists in a state of inexhaustible possibility. Can you imagine what that would be like? A lot of us can only think about that if we had a, a billion dollars, right? So a fun trick, I want you to do this. This is homework after, after service today, okay? Um, Pastor Jay has just given you $500 million. You're welcome. And I want you to try to make a list of what you do to spend that money. And, okay, and you're not, okay, rules, rules. You're not allowed to say, oh, I just give it all away. Or I, I, I pay somebody else to do it. No, I want you to actually think about it. Step by step, what would you do? Because the point of it is, I'll bet you don't make it past $2 million. Most people think $2,000 would change their life, right? So we live with this human finite mentality about if we just had this little sliver, we'd be able to be in such a different place. But can you imagine God's perspective, who owns literally everything? Everything. You and I, we're just words he said. Can he not do whatever he wants to do? Can you imagine what that perspective must be like to have inexhaustible possibility? Why are we imagining this? It's because it says in the word that you've inherited all he is and all that he has. So it's time for you to graduate, put to bed or in the grave, that mentality of limitation in your life. Because if God cares about every detail, big and the small in your life, how can we not expect him to open the windows of heaven and to do an amazing thing in your life? Amen? You, are, you have possibility. Some of you walked around for years saying, I don't have the right resources. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the right talent. Nothing's ever going to happen for me. All the while realizing you are prophesying into your future when you say those things. And you are not aligning with the will and purposes of God because he doesn't know any of those limitations. You are actually partnering with the devil and his plans for your life of lack, limitation, in insignificance. So today, we're going to possess the land. 
what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to give you the first step. It's funny Pastor Todd was saying that because that's like six points in my notes. Your next step. So let me remind you, Proverbs 16.9, I'm going to, for, I'm, I almost said force feed. I'm going to feed you scripture a lot this morning. It's going to happen, so just open your mouth, enjoy. It's going to go in and be life to your bones. Um, Proverbs 16.9 says, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And that the steps of a righteous person are established by the Lord, and that he delights in, in their way. Right? So I want you to say this with me. Say, God is moving in my life. He is doing a good thing in me. One more time. God is moving in my life. He is doing a good thing in me. And he is. He is. So a lot of times, though, the blessing and the breakthrough that you're waiting for, because everyone across this room, you have a different assignment. You have a different door that the Lord has put in front of you that only you uniquely can do. He stacked the deck. He's organized your life so that you will be most effective in that purpose. And so a lot of times we are, our blessings of what we're waiting for are in a holding pattern over our life. Does anyone know what a holding pattern is? It's when a plane is circling, but it can't land into the runway because it's too cluttered. It's too filled. And a lot of times in our life, our runways are cluttered with all of the things we think that we can't do. All of the things that we've assumed that God is going to do in our life and all of the strategies and circumstances that we figure we've explored and uncovered every angle and avenue. But the Lord is saying that today we are going to clear your runway and we're going to begin to see him rightly. All of those unwelcome vehicles and squatters sitting on your runway, we're going to kick them to the curb today. And you're going to be able to allow those planes of blessing to land in your life. Because that's what is at the root of possessing the land. It's not just this like aggressive, possess the land. Yeah! It, that, was a, that was aggressive. It's not just that. It is about the promise attached to that land. The Lord has intentions for what he wants to do in you, and he has intentions for what he wants to do in Cleveland. I, do you like your job? Most people are like, yeah, that's all right. I pay some bills. Some people are like, oh, I hate every day. Okay, I hope not. If that's the case, we'll pray that the Lord would give you a new job. <laughs> but whatever it is, and whatever it looks like, whether it's your dream job or your grace grower, you're exactly where you need to be because God has intentionally planted you, not just for your own sake, because possessing the land is not just about personal fulfillment. Our walk and our relationship with God was never just about us. If that were the case, when we accepted Jesus, Jade would be gone. I'd be up in heaven right now. Be great, but I'm here. Why? Because I have a purpose. You have a purpose. And when you're invited into this kingdom, you're invited into that next level of establishing something that endures beyond yourself. Establishing a legacy, right? So, so often we want to wait to step in for that next step in possessing the land. We want to wait to step into the Jordan River like the... Uh, like the Israelites did, or to step out of the boat like Peter did. Uh, basically step out of our safety and comfort zones because we want to step out 
when we feel like the risk is lower, right? We wait and we spiritualize our delay by calling it waiting on the Lord, right? How many of you guys know that song? I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. I've tasted your goodness. Trust in your promise. I'm going to wait on you. Right? We go around and we're like, yes, Lord, I'm going to wait. And he's saying, no, I want you to step out. I want you in the workplace that you're at right now. I want you to give that prophetic word. Or I want you to introduce that new idea. I want you while you're in the grocery store to step out of yourself and stop being so hurried and like feeling annoyed by the person who's going slow in front of you and recognize that maybe the Lord wants to say something to that slow poke in front of you. But we spend a lot of time going, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. And the Lord is standing there like, I'm here. Let's do this. But waiting feels a little bit, in some ways, in that way, it's really delaying, procrastinating. That's comfortable, right? Hang with me. This is important. So God speaks to me through everything. We watched The Lion King with my kids last week. Do you remember that scene where Simba's like coming up onto Pride Rock and all that epic music is playing and you know his he looks down insecure and the, the skull of the animal is washed away because everything's being made new and you look up and you hear the voice of Mufasa and he says, Remember. I wept. My kids are like, Dad, what is wrong? Why are you so sad? So God speaks to me through everything. And one of, the, one of the ways he spoke to me recently that I think is really cool that's going to help accentuate the point of what I'm trying to make with you is I read this book back when I was a manager at that popular coffee change with Mermaid. Um, it's called The One Minute Manager. Has anyone ever read that book before? So good, such a quick read. Um, if you have any interest in leadership or empowering the people who serve you, this this is an amazing tool. So anyways, the story follows a manager. He couldn't understand why his uh, department was falling apart. He was working constantly, working weekends, and um, swamped constantly, and wasn't able to achieve success in his department. He was failing. And um, couldn't figure out why, so he did what any respectable businessman does. He'd go to a conference where you try to learn how to fix your life in business. So he went, and he was given a piece of leadership advice that helped him realize what the problem was. He realized that the problem was him because of all the monkeys. Everyone's like, monkeys? Hmm. You read the book, you're like, yes, Lord, I'm tracking with you. For those who aren't, <laughs> the monkey is kind of like the next move. We'll call everything that you have to do at work a task, anything that you're doing, the next move, Right? And he said that that is where all the bottlenecks happen, is the next move of whatever it is that you're doing. So they were called monkeys. So someone would come into his office with a problem and say, hey, would you mind helping me out with this? And he would, of course, say, yeah, sure, I'll help you. I want to be a good manager. I want to support you. And 
Unbeknownst to him, that monkey that his employee walked in carrying was transferred from them to him. And there was a switch up where now he was the supervisor and this was his employee. But now his employee is his supervisor asking about his progress on the task that he accepted responsibility for. And so, so many people are overwhelmed with their work because they are taking on the monkeys of every other person. The next move saying, in the name of support, in the name of help, I'm going to accept responsibility for your next move. And now they get frustrated that on the weekends, his, his employees were able to relax and he was working because he had accepted all the responsibility for the next move. So, no wonder he was overworked, right? He thought he was helping them. He thought that he was really doing what managers were supposed to do. But the result was actually deeper than just being overworked himself. He was actually disempowering the people who served him. Because when you take over someone's next move and take responsibility, you deny them the development and the growth that they would have experienced if they carried it out. Right? So are you, are you tracking with me? Because this manager was the only person who could bring the resolution. His team was becoming progressively weaker. They didn't own the problems that would develop them into their next level. So when Jesus calmed the stormy sea in Mark 4, the disciples were terrified because the boat was sinking and Jesus was napping. When they woke him up, he told the sea literally to hush. And in verse 40 said, why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? Stay with me. This is going to connect. Not, not only did they have a sleeping Jesus in the boat, but they had just witnessed the miraculous multiplication of food that fed thousands of people. Now, here's the thing that I never like, really kind of clicked with me until when I was studying for this the other day was that Jesus did perform that miracle, but did he pass out all the baskets? No, it says in the scripture that the disciples carried the baskets out. So that means that the food that they had broken apart multiplied in their hands. So it wasn't just, it was the power of Jesus flowing through them and his authority, but it was through their hands that the miracle was carried out. So when they were crossing over on the boat, Jesus wasn't just annoyed that he missed out on his nap. He was wanting them to start to recognize, you performed this miracle through your hands under my authority. You could have shut the sea down. And I could have rested. So to possess the land is not a passive invitation. When you have an assignment from our Father, I want to ask you this. Do you think he's going to assume responsibility for your monkey? for your next move. But that's where a lot of us sit, right? We are wanting God to make our next move for us, or we're wanting him to shout in our ear about it, or we want three more confirmations before we will step out and do it. And this is my other question. Do you think he's going to disempower you and deny you the development you'll get by owning the next step in your journey to possess the land? I don't think so. Psalm 27, 14. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Wait upon the Lord. 
I hear Chandler more in my head every time I get there. I'm going to wait on you. (laughs) Be brave and courageous. Never lose hope. Keep on waiting. He'll never disappoint you. Now, just to shatter the whole, you know, procrastination costume called waiting, I want to read this to you. This is a note from the Passion Translation. (laughs) The Hebrew word most commonly translated for wait means to tie together by twisting or to entwine or to wrap tightly. So this waiting on the Lord isn't passive. The word waiting actually means to be intertwined, to be braided into the purposes of God. So when we wait, we're not just waiting for him to make the next move. There is an active participation where our faith is being braided with his will and his intentions. And waiting, we're strengthened, not because it's just like a wall sit spiritually that we're doing. We are strengthened because we are being braided into the intentions of God for our life while we wait. So it's not just doing nothing. It is actively partnering with what God is saying right now. Because when you're being braided, it might feel uncomfortable. When you're being entwined, it might feel disorienting. You might not fully understand the process. But the truth is that when he is finished and he lifts it up, you will see a strong three-corded rope that will pull you into your destiny. But it doesn't feel like that when you're waiting. (coughs) There it is. Promise, I'm negative. Not, ne- not negative in person, you know. So in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, now I'm just going to touch on this really lightly because God's pretty crystal clear. Jesus was very crystal clear about what you do with the waiting. I thought this was just a perfect example. So we all know the story. This wealthy man went off and he entrusted three men with um, a good deal of money. One is, let's say, 5,000 gold coins, and one 2,000, and one 1,000. So the master goes away, and the, the top two guys, they invest the money, and they double their investment. The other guy takes it and buries it in a hole because he just wants to return to the Lord what is his, right? So you all know the story. The wealthy business manager comes back, and the people who have doubled their investment, he says, whoa, you've done well. Improving yourself to be loyal and trustworthy. You've managed little. I'm going to put you in charge of much. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, stick with me in verse 24. And this is in Matthew 25, by the way. Verse 24. It says, look, sir, I know you're a hard man to please. And you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others or plants Harvests where you haven't planted. I was afraid of you, so I went and hid your money and buried it in the ground. But here, take it. It's yours. So in the waiting, there is value in what you do with the Lord has entrusted you. And the people who will excel and enter into the joy and the delight of the Lord are not the ones who just safeguarded what they had and waited for the master to return. It is the people who recognize what their gift is and invest it and, and double it and advance what the Lord has given them for the sake of the master. So what you carry... What is on the inside of you is not just for you alone. You are doubling the investment for your master, for Jesus. 
so that when you stand before him one day, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But possessing the land, the Israelites stayed on the other side of the Jordan and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, knowing that the promise was across the way. But it was because they didn't see themselves as God saw them. Lord's given you a unique gifting and purpose from him, and he wants to empower you to establish his kingdom wherever you are right now. So, what's your next move as we step into our Father's invitation to possess the land? Well, God's, I didn't know if you know this about him, he's super intentional. He puts Easter eggs all over history for us to find, right? It's all throughout the Bible. He's talking about stuff before the foundations of the earth that he was going to do in the New Testament. It's pretty cool. He has a plan for your future, and he has a plan for the earth. And contrary to popular belief right now, spoiler alert, it's a good one. He knows what he's doing in you. And the other perk of this is, I think sometimes we forget this, so let me just remind you, this story is already done. It's already finished. And another spoiler alert, he wins. <laughs> so whatever you're facing, yeah, that's good. You can praise him for that. That's good. So whatever it is that you're facing, we don't operate like people who are hopeless or just waiting for something or hoping something will come our way. We operate from victory, understanding that Jesus has already won and that we've inherited all he is and all that he has. So you have already won. The deck is already stacked in your favor. Possessing the land, whatever that looks like in your personal world, is a certainty if you will only step out in faith with what is currently in front of you. He's not asking you what you will do in five years when the opportunity is better. He's asking, what will you do with what you are trusted with right now? I hope you don't bury it. It didn't turn out good for that guy. Phrase was weeping, gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> but every promise from our Father that is yet to be fulfilled is certain. His word stands forever. When I was a little kid, my first Bible that I ever read was a New American Standard Bible. It's like 40 years old. And uh, if you flip through, I wish I brought it. I couldn't find it. It's in my garage somewhere. Um, it was orange because I only had an orange magic marker and I basically highlighted all everything in the New Testament in orange. So when you open it, flip through, it's this ugly, glaring orange. But the one thing about that Bible that I remember the most was the scripture in the front said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Mm. So the grace necessary for the fruition of his promises to manifest in your world has already been given to you when you received Jesus. So what does grace mean? Okay, because we're going to dig into this and then I'm going to swing back around to Jericho and we'll wrap it up. But a popular answer is for grace is unmerited favor. Now how many of you have ever said this when somebody comes before you, a new Christian, struggling with sin, struggling with something, and you go, oh, but there's grace for that, right? 
I don't know if, if I'm doing premarital counseling. I'm kidding. <laughs> There's grace for that. <laughs> That's a terrible answer, right? But it's a popular answer because, because it is true. He's given us grace, but grace is so much more than a Band-Aid for a wound or a failure. It's more than a get-out-of-jail-free card, and it's not just a mulligan you can take. So Paul exhorted Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because as Charles Capps defined it, grace is God's willingness to use his power and ability on our behalf, even when we don't deserve it. So I, I did some digging in this, and I found an amazing article. It's called Empowering Grace. If you want to know where to find it, I can tell you after. Come find me. But it had an interesting thought. It said that the original scriptures were written in Hebrew and reflected a Hebrew mindset. But we're Greek-influenced thinkers. We think abstractly. So we think of grace as something that God has, like an attitude, something good that he carries. But the Hebrew mindset, which was originally written in the scripture, would think of grace as something that God does. So the grace I need for my next move is already deposited into me. So I want you to get that, though. So grace, it's not just, it's not just a Band-Aid that says, okay, I am forgiven, and I feel great about it, and I have unmerited favor. Grace is the invitation to receive that unmerited favor and to be empowered to meet the standards of what he asks for. <coughs> I'm good. Because within the word that Jesus says within the word that the scripture, the living act of word proceeding out of his mouth, everything needed for the accomplishment and the fruition of that word was within it when it was released. So when God speaks something, it's not just a hope or a wish. Within that word is everything that you need to accomplish what he is asking you to do. He will not just call you without empowering you. He will not just put an expectation on you without giving you all of the grace, unmerited, unmerited favor, and empowering presence necessary to walk out spectacularly the dream that he has spoken into your heart to do with your life. That is good news. So why do I already have it? It's because the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Spirit, okay. This is good. Because sometimes we can say truth. Sometimes we can say, the, the Spirit lives in me. But we just say it, and we don't recognize what that actually means. So I'm going to say it again. The Spirit of Jesus lives in your physical body. The Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you to counsel you, to empower you. You are not alone in here. Literally, he's in here. And I think that the, he's a part of the Trinity, and you can't separate them. I don't know if you've realized that. This circle of relationship is what you, are, you and I are invited into. And we need to read our instruction manual and begin to understand what being a child of God entails. Because you understand this, that relationship exists within God himself, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why do you think he was a tr he's a trinity? Why is there three distinct in one? 
It's because within himself he is fully satisfied, fully complete. And within him is relationship, perfect relationship, perfect unity. That's a real mind boggler and a pickle, right? The three distinct in the one. But it's there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I was growing up, uh, you might be the same way. The Father's the boss. Jesus does what he's supposed to. And the Holy Spirit's just the gas that the pastor asks for when the meeting gets real good. Holy Spirit, come. And the goosebumps, there it is. There's that gas. That's good. She, she working. Um, um, that is because we look at God's relationship within himself from a human perspective. And the truth is that we can't comprehend perfect unity without hierarchy. We think that somebody needs to have the stick to be able to keep somebody in line. So we assume that God is like us. You're not just invited to be a part of the club and to make it into heaven one day. You're invited into that circle of relationship, of perfect unity. And so when you have a revelation, that means that when the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, that, that is Jesus. He is his presence. That means that that is the Father. I have God living inside of me. So how could I live a life that is disempowered or feel like I don't know what to do next or, or live under a ceiling of limitations? The only way that I can do that is if I am willing to accept and live in a lie that I am somehow disempowered and less and to believe the word of the enemy that whatever he says to you, you're never going to amount to much, you're never going to do that, you're just going to live and die where you are, blah, 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 blah. It gets old. He's real annoying. But when you kind of come into an understanding of who God is and you see him rightly, you no longer have the permission, you no longer have the ability to see yourself differently unless you willingly choose to ignore it. Right? So, as humans, we can't think outside of hierarchy, but God doesn't need power or intimidation. He's perfectly complete, unified within himself. There's nobody who intimidates him. Do you get that? No sin. The devil's not his, his equal or his enemy. I mean, he is, but you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, I mean, I'm not being anti-scriptural here. Don't put that in a YouTube video. <laughs> devil's not the enemy. Jay said it about the Cleveland. <laughs> no, what I mean is he's not equal to God. There's not, like, this competition, like, you know, equal good, equal evil facing off. Who's going to win? There is no competition. He has no rival. He is all-powerful. So he alone exists outside of our social constructs, which means he's alone is able to dive into wherever you are. And however your lens of life has, has impacted how you see reality, he can deliver you from that and show you who you really are. There's a, a scripture in Isaiah 55, starts in 8. I'll, I'll start here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. And for years, that's the only part of the scripture that I really memorized. Until I went a couple of verses up, and I want you to hear what he says here, because this kind of gives you a different context. Because I love it when he brags on himself. I love to hear God brag on himself in Isaiah and talk about how amazing he is. It makes me excited. But um, listen to this. He said, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And he will freely pardon 
because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you get that? When he talks about his thoughts, when he talks about the way that he processes reality, it is not to brag and say that you stink. It is to say that he will have mercy on you. He's not like us. We're so quick to write people off. We're so quick right now, especially. Cancel somebody. You said the wrong thing? Canceled. You're in the wrong show? Canceled. You said something 40 years ago? Great. Canceled. We love it. It makes us feel so powerful. It also makes us feel totally afraid. Because whenever we get to drink the power juice of judgment and cancellation, you, you open up the door for that to happen to you later, and you're always kind of looking over your shoulder. But in the kingdom, he is not like that. He doesn't think that way. Hmm. So how can I have the spirit of Jesus within me? How can, how can I be included in this circle of relationship with God? How can the same spirit that woke up with him, this blows my mind, I always love to think about this, think about what that must have felt like for I don't know, pretend like you're dead. Your heart's not beating. All of a sudden, that first breath where you come back in, where Jesus was awakened and his body came up in the heartbeat, that spirit that took something that was dead and gone and beyond any help or hope, raised him from the dead, is what you carried into this room this morning in you. That's really exciting. So, Oh, gosh, guys, I'm running out of time, and I'm only on page nine. This is bad. Oh, my gosh, I am out of time. No. Okay. All right, I'm going to bring this in for a rapid landing, okay? Are you ready? Buckle up. We're going to get you out of here, I promise. Delivery time. Um, we want to possess the land. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. You know, he is coming back. Did you know that there is a, the east gate in Jerusalem where the Messiah is going to be coming back on the earth in, in physical body, is bricked over. They can't get through, and they put graves and tombs outside of the bricked-in door because for a Jew to cross through those tombs would make them ceremonially unclean. But Jesus is coming and he is going to step over the graves and he's going to burst through that east gate and he's going to come as the conquering king. Jesus is actually coming back. And, and, and you need to remember that, that we aren't just kind of floating around hoping that we have good lives. There is a plan here. He is coming back to the earth. And so you possessing the land is to, to cover this land in prayer is to shift spiritual authorities and prepare the bride for his return. He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. You and I are that bride. And we've been empowered with his grace to possess the land. When you look back in the Old Testament, there's way too many scriptures here that I've highlighted. Give me a second to scroll... So Moses sent spies in, into Jericho, right? Into the land of the promised land to, to spy and see, see what's up. And they came back, and the majority of them said, we came into the land where you sent us, and it is amazing, Jay's version. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, and there's giants there. So fear even though you had Joshua and Caleb saying, the Lord has said that we can have this land, we should take it. But fear overtook the camp, and they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness outside of the will of God, right, for their life. They were waiting on a promise, didn't cross the Jordan. They said that we were grasshoppers in our own sight, 
And so, so we were in their sight. Then did you know that that means that other people see you the way that you see yourself? Their view of themselves swayed the courage of Israel and resulted in majority of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, never seeing the promise. And right now we're stepping into a shifting moment. It's, it's like a bunch of different pockets that define the human race. Like in 137 when the first 1370, when the first public clock was, was put up and people stopped living according to the sunrise and started living according to the clock, right? Or when Edison brought in the light bulb, people used to sleep 11 hours a night. Did you know that? So when it got dark, what were you going to do? It's not like you had an iPad. You go to sleep. But now, the, the light bulb, and from that point on, the average like, person in America right now, I think it's like five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep. And then the next turning point is 2007, the iPhone was released, and that just opened Pandora's box for all of us, didn't it? Those little pocket idols. I have one right here, oops. And then in 2020, the universal pandemic and all the complications that came with that, I'm believing that 2022, that God is calling the Joshua's and Caleb's to partner with the new generation to claim the mountain of God that was promised over us in our cities and in our nation. It is time to possess the land. But do we see God rightly? Because how can we see ourselves clearly if we don't have a clear vision of who he is without finding our living, moving, and being within him? Joshua and Caleb saw themselves rightly because their eyes were fixed on God and what he'd done. They saw God rightly, and as a result, were able to see themselves. And so when, when it came time to spy in the land again, they sent two spies in instead of 12, because, you know, only two came back the first time with positive, so just send two. Makes sense to me. And when they got to the city, they were hidden by Rahab, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. Because we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og and all the ites, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven, and above all the earth below. So when they came back, Joshua told the Israelites, the Lord has given us this whole land because the people are melting in fear. Let me tell you something. Every enemy, everything that's standing in your way to begin to release the kingdom, dominion, and authority that you carry, your enemies are already afraid of you. Every spiritual force that's trying to spit out in your face and just be crazy and scare you knows that they have already lost. They are already melting in fear because they know that all you are is just one little snap decision, one little revelation away from understanding who your God is and who you are to coming into the land and possessing your Jericho. So when you have this revelation, all the Jerichos that you're facing right now, God is going to give you counterintuitive solutions. I mean, who would have thought? March around the city and then scream and the walls are going to fall. I mean, that is crazy, right? It sounds like just a kid's story. I can only see the felt board, you know, with like the, the, the pictures on it. For those who are born 2000 and up, I'll explain after. The felt board was a thing. But it is real, 
The walls fell when they shouted because God told them to do something that didn't make sense in the natural, but because they crossed the Jordan and had an understanding of who their God is, they remembered what he had done and they recognized that if God did that and he is asking me to do it, then I'm not stepping through the Jordan River alone. I'm not walking into the promised land where giants will eat me up. I'm stepping into my destiny and into my purpose I'm here to tell you today, whatever that looks like in your life, whatever the Lord has promised you, 2022 is the time where we stop waiting and we step through the Jordan and we possess the land that he has promised you. This is not a word for five years from now, six years from now, maybe you'll see the breakthrough. This is the right here, right now, this morning, the Lord is gonna give you that next move that is gonna turn into that momentum and, and that wheel that turns and and projects you into your future, projects you into the destiny he has for your life. This is who our God is. Evan, you can come on up, man. Our God is El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals me, Jehovah Shema, the Lord that's there, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we step forward into our local assignment. We look at what surrounds us with hope and expectation because we're not looking at discouraging circumstances as the place that we're trapped, but as a launch pad the purposes and plans of God in your life. I don't know what you're facing today, but I can tell you that every difficulty becomes a tool that will advance the purposes of God in your life if you will only recognize his intentions for you. So to possess the land, it is not complicated. We want an eight-step process of, a, of specific things to do. Each one of your, your next step, each one of the things that God has for your life is so and possibly complex and unique, that no one's gonna have the same next step. But for everyone to be able to have the courage to take that next one, you only need to remember what he's done and who your God is. Because when we see him rightly, we know that we belong to him and we can see ourselves rightly. Hmm. I wanna pray for you about those impossible circumstances and impossible dreams. Do I have anyone here who has an impossible circumstance or an impossible dream? If that's you, can you stand on your feet? Impossible dream, impossible circumstance that you're believing for. Some of you standing here, the impossible dream, the impossible circumstance, it's like me saying I wanna learn how to play the drums. Not taking lessons. I mean, why would I when I have John Conway? <laughs> but for some of you standing here, you do have a dream and you do have something that is impossible and you do have something that is huge. And if you're scared, good. Do you wanna know why? Because if you weren't scared and if it wasn't huge, it wouldn't be him. He wants to inhabit your dream this morning like a seed that goes into the ground. It, those dreams that we carry 
have that process. They go into the ground and we think that they're dead. But it's at that moment of death and breaking that the life begins to break forth out of that seed. And so this morning, you're standing for an impossible dream. I know some of your dreams. Some of you want to see a citywide, nationwide revival in our teenagers. Some of you want to see healing rooms and ministries expand out and see cancer in your area that you live in eradicated. A cancer-free zone. Come on, I, I used to hear that phrase all the time. Maybe 10 years ago, we talked about cancer-free zone and the Lord kind of establishing his authority over regions and cities. But I think with everything that's happened in the past decade, it is so easy to become hyper-focused on what is happening to me, how my life is affected by these changes and these shifts, and to lose sight that the Lord made you for exceptional circumstances. You're a vessel of honor. So for your dream, I want you to pick it, pick it up and hold it out in your hands. I want you to picture it as if it had a, a texture or a shape and hold it in your hand. Hmm. Jesus, I thank you that the giants, though they be loud, though they be intimidating, they're just looking for somebody brave enough to sling a stone. And Lord, even just pray for Janet Porter, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in her life. I thank you that she is an eagle taking off into the high places. And Lord, let it be said 10 years from now that abortion was eliminated. Lord, let it be said that all of the little lives that are with you in heaven right now, that all of them were part of that great cloud of witnesses right now, Lord, saying, finish what we started to the earth, that those, those lives now on the earth in 2022 would be able to live and to breathe and to release their purposes. Lord, I just pray for Andy Mason. Lord, I just pray right now. Andy's in the back of you. Stretch your hand out toward him. He's in the plaid shirt right behind you over there. Lord, I just pray for Andy, Lord, that you heal his body. Lord, I thank you that you know everything that is happening in him. There is, you are acquainted with all of his ways. You know everything that you're doing in him. And Lord, I thank you that the seed of healing revival is in his heart. And Lord, I just pray that you would just come in and inhabit his DNA. Lord, just enshroud him with your presence and your closeness. And I pray that hope would break forth this morning. I'm going to just pray for Christopher Milo right now. He's the guy with the cool mohawk right there in the tan shirt. Lord, I thank you for the open doors that you've given him to touch this next generation. Lord, I thank you for shoulders broad enough to carry the weight. You've given him the strength to carry out this calling. And Lord, I just pray that a little emoji with a mohawk would be what people recognize as the beginning of revival in this next generation, that Gen Z would taste of the kingdom of God. Let it start. Come on, let's, let's hang out here for just one more second. Come on, this is where he is, and it's so good. Don't you just love his presence? Isn't he just the greatest? 
Lord, I just pray for every person standing right now who has an impossible dream and an impossible circumstance. Lord, I pray that you would break through, Father. Father, I pray that you would break into each of their circumstances, Lord, and ignite hope, ignite expectation. Lord, that they would see that if you've asked them to do it, the inside of the question, within the word that you put in their heart, is everything they need to accomplish it, Lord. And I thank you that you are causing fresh strategy, fresh hope, and fresh things to break out of that soil. In Jesus' name, amen. If the rest of you wouldn't mind standing up, I'm going to bless you today. Can I get our ministry? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I promise. I'm okay. Our ministry teams are going to come forward and line up across the front here. But I just wanted to bless you. Bethel Cleveland, I bless you in the name of our Savior, Jesus. I bless you to have the fresh revelation of who you belong to and who lives inside of you, ignited in your heart. I bless you to walk out of this place and to leave doubt, to leave discouragement, to leave heaviness behind, and let it be exchanged for the hope of a father who has an inexhaustible resources and limitless possibility that when Jesus looks at your life, I pray that you begin to see your life in that way, that you are special. You are anointed by God. He adores you. You're the apple of his eye. Maybe no one's ever said that to you. Maybe your earthly father didn't say it, but I bless you this morning to hear it. He loves you. Says his thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. So we just break off any inferiority or this feeling that you're not good enough or that you don't belong or you're not worthwhile or worth time. And Lord, I just pray that they would be blessed to understand that if the Savior of the universe died for them, that makes them the most valuable commodity on the planet. And so I just bless you, Bethel Cleveland to know him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.